The new presenting sponsor for On Education is Classcraft. Are you looking for a way to engage and connect with your students? Then this is the perfect time to try Classcraft, and we have a limited time offer to help you get started. Simply go to classcraft.com slash oneducation, and you will receive the first month free on a monthly premium subscription. To get started, go to classcraft.com slash oneducation. It's a behemoth. We have a juggernaut on our hands. We're juggering. Welcome to On Education. I'm Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We're going to discuss the Teacher of the Year, Rodney Robinson's inspirational journey. We will revisit my favorite topic, Teachers Pay Teachers. The Justin Timberlake of On Education is back for our Dig It or Ditch It segment. And our guests this week are educators and authors Adam Chamberlain and Sveti Matich. So I just rolled in from camping Ooh. like an hour, an hour and a half ago. Um, People camping can't see your face. It's windburned. It's very windburned. <laughs> do you do you camp at all? I am not a very good camper, Mike. I have to admit, uh, though my wife says that we are doing it this summer. So, so the story okay, that's, so your that you're wife about to sounds tell, exactly like my wife. The story that you're about to tell is striking a deep fear inside of me. It's also ammo for you, though, for uh, for the case against it. So, camping sucks for the record. Like really bad. I. I hate it. I really don't like it very much. But I, I actually have a very nice teachery metaphor about camping in a few minutes. But basically, um, so late April, it should be pretty nice out. All you know, even even up here, um, it was not nice, Glenn. It it snowed like there was a <laughs> snowstorm. So Friday night, we go to set up, and it starts to it starts to snow in the middle of the night and what we had done we um the one of the scout leaders and i we were in a in a fairly large tent um and and we put a tarp on top of it because we also had a lot of our stuff yes kind of in the area because that's it was kind of the leaders area and so we had like the canteens and the the coolers and a bunch of other nonsense uh so we had a big tarp that was hung up from the trees around the around the tent and the snow because it was like a wet, heavy snow, yeah. came onto the tarp, and and uh, our tent collapsed. collapsed. So the tent collapsed completely right on top of us oh, while we God. were sleeping, which is freaking great, let me tell you. <laughs> and so I wake up, and 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 I say, I say, I say, Tom, Tom, the tent's on us. And he's like, what? And I'm like, no, Tom, the tent is on, like literally on us. We had to like crawl our way out of the tent out of the opening find the zipper and get out in, out of the vestibule kind of area that the tent had and we literally three in the morning we're out there and it's a blizzard and we're putting the tent back together oh goodness it was the worst and i didn't sleep after that like i i don't sleep very well to begin with um you know it just makes it worse so i got about friday night i got about an hour sleep wow um so it was saturday was a rough sat and so the snow like everywhere on our campsite on saturday morning so making breakfast was pretty brutal um that being said the rest of the day was pretty good and so i have a metaphor i have a camping metaphor i because because i got all deep thoughty about this i was like i was like there's parts of this that i really liked 
I, I enjoy cooking outside, for example. I like cooking anyways, but cooking outside was was great. And so cooking outside is fun. So there but there's I think that there's a metaphor to this. And I, I equated camping to a first year teacher. Okay. So I was thinking about this a little bit. Camping sucks to start. Like really, really is crappy. And you're tired all the time and you're wondering how you're gonna get things done. But there's something to be said for camping once you've got some experience. Once you feel like you know what you're doing and you've got it down camping i think and i don't know this because i don't camp i think camping could end up being fun so i'm willing to actually give it another go and um i bought a whole bunch of stuff so now i actually have to go camping because i spent all this money on stuff i absolutely don't need uh so we'll see how it goes i i it was our last scout camp but i think that I think that we'll go camping as a family and uh, I'm willing to give it a try, even though uh, my tent collapsed. So dude, you're killing it in her stone, like, <laughs> like killing it, killing it like whole other level, killing it. Yeah. So Hearthstone, if people don't know, this is this kind of online card game strategy. Yeah. We've talked about it before. Uh, it reminds me of a combination of magic, the gathering. But yeah. If people don't know magic, the gathering, it's basically a strategic chess game with lots of different pieces is a good way to be able to think of it and you actually told me about it because you knew that i liked magic the gathering so i started playing it a while uh it's i don't know it's how long it's been now about three um, or four months at least yeah yeah it's been it's been definitely longer than that probably six or seven or eight months so they it goes by these different ranks so yeah you know you start off at basically level let's call it 20 20 or 25 and then each five levels that you that you go down because you're trying to get to number one, um, you get locked in. So, for example, if you get to level 15, you can't fall below level 15. So it's nice, you know, so you can't go back to 16 and so on and so forth. So okay. you keep going up and down the rankings. So once you get to level 10, that's fantastic because you can't go below level 10. So I was uh, posting on Twitter that I got to level six and that I was almost to level five, but I didn't want to jinx it. As you get closer to those higher levels, the the more uh, experienced well, and expert the people players. are harder to play. Yeah. yeah, they're like really good players. You're getting you know. into expert level Hearthstone yes. gaming, man. Like I know. This is like, <laughs> I've never even played the ladder gaming and yeah. you are level five yes. now. Is this yes. right? Yeah, level five and... I was I had one star basically. You move each to each level with five stars, and then you move on to the next uh, level in the increments. But between six and five, I basically needed to play one more game and win it to move to level five. If I lost it, you lose a couple ranks down, so it's it's really frustrating. Um, so I put the pressure on myself and I started recording it and I posted it on YouTube just to see what would happen. Uh, yeah. play, played the game and actually the game ended up being I got super lucky um, and had everything kind of go my way and then and then I actually had footage of it so I, I was I was pretty cool too because I actually streamed it basically to YouTube and then uh, and then was able to so no matter what if I never get back there again I'll always have that one moment <laughs> I'm afraid where, to play you that. now. Like I've <laughs> almost went and like played you a couple times, but now like you, you would kick my ass. Going, <laughs> like, I don't know what to do now because I thought I was okay at this yeah. game, but like you're in a whole other, <laughs> this is a whole other universe. You and Jesse uh, Budo are, yes. you know, he's another, 
he's really competitive really ladder yes. hearthstone player so i mean boy oh boy i don't know <laughs> all um, these teachers playing video games we love it <laughs> listen i'll play hearthstone with you if you play civilization 5 with me i know that's it's that's, it's the same kind of thing it was super it is the same yeah, kind yeah, of thing i'd be destroyed in two seconds i'm, I'm destroyed by the time i turn the game on <laughs> join the I'm pretty, world i'm pretty genocidal in civilization 5 you can ask paul you can ask paul devarzi how how that goes how you play awesome <laughs> so um, Rodney Robinson was yes. named the, um, the, the teacher of the year in the U S and, uh, this is, this is a hell of a guy. Yes. Really inspirational story. Uh, if you don't know it, you should go check it out. Uh, we'll make sure we put a link to at least one of the stories. There's many of them on all kinds yeah. of different outlets, uh, but he teaches at a juvenile detention center and, oh, um, he basically is his principal said that he creates a positive school culture by empowering his students, uh, many of whom you can imagine have experienced yeah. all kinds of trauma. And basically what his goal is, is for them to become civically minded social advocates who use their skills and voices. I mean, you, you recognize this stuff. This is what we do at school. He's doing this at a juvenile detention center. So use their skills and voices to affect physical and policy changes at their schools and in their communities. So it's a super powerful story. I'm, I'm really happy that a, such a unique uh, teaching uh, educator, sorry, unique an environment. educator. An environment, yes. Yeah. Uh, won this Teacher of the Year because it's super inspirational. And a lot of people don't know this about me. I, I talk about this a little bit in my keynote when I give a keynote you know, kind of thing, but they don't know, number one, that I would have been the last person in the world that you would have thought would become an educator and my mm. only my family and friends that were friends with me especially when i was in the kind of the junior high stage you know life okay we were living in el paso texas and um i basically was a juvenile delinquent i mean that's a, that's i would actually say that i was uh participated in all kinds of different I wouldn't call them super big criminal activities, but they were definitely criminal activities. I uh, got busted one time massively. I got sent to an alternative school. Oh, and boy. luckily enough, my mom and, and then my dad came kind of back into our lives. And we ended up moving to New Mexico for my ninth grade year. And it was kind of like a reset button. And yeah. included in that reset button, I still didn't like school. And I hated the whole concept of it. And there was a teacher, and I talk about this in my keynote, that basically was the first person to ever tell me that I was, that I had a talent or a skill uh, in something that had to do with something positive, <laughs> you know what I mean? Instead of something right. del delinquent oriented. Um, and that is huge. That's what this guy is doing. He's basically saying, hey, you may be here now at this stage of your life, but that doesn't mean that's who you are. Uh, right. And let me go ahead and... And be the first person to go ahead and say, hey, you can do these things. And this is just one stage of life. What happens afterwards is really what's going to matter uh, for, for the years to come. And so, again, it really reminded me of, of things that have happened to myself and probably all kinds of other people out there, not just educators, but other students where a teachers intervened and then did something uh, which we we don't even know sometimes that the, the kind of the power that we have. And you talk about this too, Mike. Um and how meaningful it can be towards that person's path. And so definitely relate to that. And so Rodney Robinson, man, congratulations and hope to hear more stories about everything that you do. Just amazing. Just amazing. Hey, so you've had an epiphany. 
yes. of sorts. <laughs> uh, the the clouds have parted. Yes, and the sun, there was clouds. <laughs> the sun is shining through on Glenn. Um, I yes. don't know. I, I don't want to. I want to take it away. The, the sun is shining on Glenn today. Yes. Yeah, so um, I guess it's sort of a bombshell because it's kind of my we all know that teacher pay is a concern. We talk about it on the show all the time. It's a concern. The reason why teacher strikes are happening is one of the main concerns about teacher pay. Uh, the covers of Time magazine really uh, brought to light all of these different stories of people not even being able to afford health care or pay their bills. And so anyway, I uh, read and then watched a documentary uh, by Dr. Will Dayimport. Right. And he creates this video documentary that I believe it's a must watch for all educators, whether or not you agree with what I'm about to say or my epiphany here. Uh, you should just watch it because it's interesting and, and really it gives you a completely different viewpoint than I actually had. I think I was very limited in my scope as far as uh, my judgment of, of all these people. And it basically has me reevaluating my entire stance against monetizing talents, my talents as an educator. Right. Uh, and so... And maybe I've been wrong the whole entire time. Basically, there's a quote here. It says, there's still so many teachers who give so much of themselves, their time and content away for free. And yep. then the second part of this is that I was it was so powerful because so many things have been happening in the last few weeks that this part right here was so important to me. Many teachers are also committed to ed tech companies as ambassadors or whatever you actually want to call them. And then they provide their content as well as their expertise um, for free. They don't get paid for their work. And I I just posted a, like kind of a thread on Twitter that this is so true. And basically, mm -hmm. my takeaways are these. Number one, I'm still against the concept of teachers pay teachers. So nobody, nobody <laughs> think that I've jumped off that shit. But I have, I do want to say that if you're a teacher who's choosing to sell items on there to make a living, to make ends meet, to make some disposable income, which we talk about that all the time, uh, I'm going to stop with my holier-than-thou attitude. <laughs> and now if you choose to purchase an item on TPT, just be aware of what you're purchasing. And then just make sure that once you get that activity, that you really thoroughly vet that activity yeah. before you give it to your students. So sometimes, and I've heard of people doing this, uh, where they purchase something, they then tweak it. Um, kind of make it their own, but they are able to get the main parts of the ideas and then make it so it really fits their students. If you're doing that, then good. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Also, I think exercise some critical thinking when it comes to teachers pay teachers. Like in the sense that make sure that like if you're searching for something, search and see if it's the original version of it or try to yes. try to make some deduction as to whether it's been copied. That's I think the biggest problem you have, like, and we've obviously talked about this a lot. Yes. The big, one of the biggest problems that we feel like we have is that, is that there are predatory people on teachers pay teachers. And it's that, that you really want to avoid. I don't have a problem with paying people for their time and their expertise. People should be paid, especially if the quality of the things that they're selling, that they're offering is good. Yes. You deserve to earn an income for work that you do. It's that simple. But if the thing is, it makes sure it's the original thing. That's that's a big thing with this for sure. Yes. All right. Uh, number two, if you're an ambassador, like I'll state right now, I'm a Schoology ambassador and a Minecraft right. mentor. Um, I've been other kinds of ambassadors for different companies. Uh, 
it's not the equivalent of being an employee. That's what my my uh, advice to you is that you are not their employee. And my advice to you is do what you want to go ahead and do for them. Okay, but never feel like you have to do anything. Uh, so if you ever feel like pressure, like you have to do something, man, then it's time to go ahead and not be part of that organization because it's not worth it. So it basically should be uh, kind of an equivalent relationship, if you want to call it that, Mike. You know what I mean? So you're getting, reciprocal. It yeah, reciprocal. should be a reciprocal, reciprocal. That's a great word right there. Yes. You're getting something for yourself and for your career. Maybe it's advancing your career. Maybe it's advancing your ideas uh, in a bigger platform. If that is the case, and it has been the case for me on various times, then fantastic. Continue to do that. But if at ever, any moment it feels like it's an unbalanced relationship, then just understand that you don't have to actually be part of that to still be a great educator, you know, a person that's uh, out there spreading their ideas. So 100%. that was my number two. And number three, I understand teaching is not a lucrative profession economically. So if you have the time, energy, and talent to create something outside of school time, so a business or a service. A podcast. A podcast, a, a book, a whatever resources, right? my new take on this after watching that video, after studying what uh, Dr. Will has done, I'm saying go for it. And yes, it's okay to make money doing this because that's one of the ways that you can actually uh, complement your income uh, that may not be enough for you, may not be what you need it to be to be able to do the things that you want it to be. So there was my big epic uh, uh spiel you you've, you've come you've come so far <laughs> padawan <laughs> it makes me so happy though i think i'm gonna make some people angry too <laughs> i don't care i don't care they're wrong and you're right you're right you're right well the, it's okay you yeah, you way. have and i've been saying this for ever but I, even i went on a rant again about it just the other day that glenn glenn irvin has unique expert level experience that is worth something yeah. both to you and to other people. And you owe nobody anything to give that away. You have unique knowledge and unique ideas. And those are, those have value, not just emotional value and all of that. They, they have monetary value and everybody deserves to get paid for the unique knowledge and experience that they have. I'm not saying you need to rake people. I'm not saying that you need to, you know, you know, when someone says, can you help me? You say, I charge a hundred dollars an hour. I'm not <laughs> saying, I'm not saying it like that. I'm saying that, it, you know, especially in these relationships with businesses and companies, I mean, your, your knowledge to them is worth something. That's why you're there. Yes. That's why you are a Minecraft mentor and a Schoology ambassador because your knowledge about Minecraft and Schoology has it has monetary value to them. Yes, it does. But you're yes. not getting paid for that. True. So <laughs> yes. just, you know, this has been this is great. We've come full circle and it's a whole new world. <laughs> and I'm I'm here for it, Glenn. I'm okay. here for I'm here for You've Glenn been here two point. For, yes, exactly. You've been here the here. the whole circle, the three sixty. Oh buddy. <laughs> <Or the> 180. <laughs> so you know, dig it or ditch it was such a huge success that you know we're back. It's the end of the month, and when we come back, we'll be joined by our Justin Timberlake, Noah Geisel. Do you have plans to attend the ISTE conference this summer? Come one day early and participate in the best hidden gem conference in the United States. 
Badge Summit 2019 will take place on the Temple University campus in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on June 22nd. There will be lots of wicked smart educators to collaborate with on topics such as digital badges, credentials, gamification, and more. To learn more about Badge Summit, simply visit bit.ly slash badge summit. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Our friend Noah Geisel is here with us, and Dig It or Digit starts right now. All right, Noah, we're here. We're yes, ready. Yes, we are. We're so we're, ready. We're, we're psyched. We're pumped. How you doing? Man, I'm fantastic. Great to be back. I, I really appreciate all the reception that your listeners have given to the Dig It or Ditch It segment, and I'm excited to give it another run with you guys. It's a behemoth. We have a juggernaut on our hands. We're juggering. We're nodding. <laughs> <laughs> We're either juggering or nodding. One of them. <laughs> oh my god! Awesome. All right, so let's do it. We got we got four we got four questions. We have no idea what they are. That's nope. the rules. Um, and and we have to tell you whether uh, w- w- all three of us are gonna are gonna talk about whether we dig it or we dig ditch it. Ditch so. it. Okay. Yeah, and, and listeners, we do have one new wrinkle uh, that we are going to actually be assigning who has to respond with their first hot take uh, with each dig it or ditch a question. And to that end, uh, piggybacking on the juggering or nodding, Glenn, you were up first. <laughs> oh, God. Failure culture. Dig it or ditch it? I'm going to ditch it, actually. Oh, no. Um, and it's because I, I've actually just experience and actually we have an interview talking about this uh probably after this segment um and it talks about that we are super fascinated with the culture of failure and i think we kind of need to redefine it that's the best way to be able to describe it. it's not that i'm opposed to saying that uh we need to have our students uh have grit and determination and be able to come back from failure uh, totally that all the research is in that area. But I think we would need to take a step back as educators and really figure out uh, why our students are failing, number one. And then number two, does it have stuff to do with things on our end as teachers? Do we need to hold ourselves responsible for the way that we're delivering the content, what we're actually doing as far as activities in class? Because I think a lot of times people want to say students should have grit and they should have, you know, they should be able to get through all of these things because it'll help them later in life. But we don't help guide them in that process or we don't take accountability for possibly being the people that set up the obstacles that create the failures in the first place. So I hope that's. Uh, that actually makes sense, Mike. I, I know you have a good take on this too. So I'm I'm digging it, but I'm also reframing it. Glenn's kind of stolen my thunder here a little bit. Oh God. Um, I I definitely think that first off, failure is a good thing. I I don't think kids should be afraid to to mess things up, make mistakes, things going off the rails. Those this is fine. And 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 actually, I I reminded someone just the other day that there is an actual legitimate concept called failing fast and and it's it's applied a lot in technology companies and it's related to the iterative process and the idea that the sooner you know that something isn't working the sooner you can go back and and start the process again and start it so i I mean maybe it's the word failure that's the actual seems like a final thing yeah right the problem is maybe the word because the concept the idea of making a mistake of not getting something right and then 
coming back around and trying again. It's not about the falling down. It's about the getting up. That's the reframe that needs to happen. And we need to be reminding not only ourselves, um, but students and other teachers. And, and actually, um, you've set this up beautifully because on Thursday, uh, I'm doing my first large, like big, big talk, um, not a keynote, but they call it a spotlight. And, and I'm talking about getting up. I'm talking about when, when things go off the rails, what you do when you, you're, you're, you're lacking motivation because you're, you're, you're failing. And again, I, I use that word because I haven't really thought of the best word to use as an alternative, but the idea of getting up is what's really important here. So I I'm, I'm digging it because I like the concept. Uh, I'm reframing it because I think there, there might be a problem with the word failure, uh, but also the idea that getting up is the important part. Noah, uh, what say you? You know, I was prepared to say ditch it, and, and I'm also hearing that all three of us are really on the same page with this. That it's not so much about the content, it's about the culture of the rah-rah cheerleading the fail versus yes. what comes <laughs> right. next, right? That it's about, as you said, the getting up. It, it's not the missed shot that we're celebrating, right? It's what yeah. do you do to rebound, regroup, and then retry afterwards? Absolutely. I love it. Um, next up, Mike, hot take. It's playoff season. What is your take? Dig it or ditch it? Sports metaphors in learning and in life. Sports metaphors in learning and in life? Ooh. I use them a lot, so I guess I have to Yeah, dig. he does. <laughs> <laughs> I um, just called him out on one that he did the other day on a text message. <laughs> oh, right. What did I say? I can't even remember what you, it was. You, but, oh, you, won't, you, 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 can't, you can't hit any, any balls you don't, uh, you don't get up to the plate for. So, yeah. uh, you know, talking about missed opportunities and I mean, it's not an opportunity if you don't step up to the plate and try to at least hit it. So I, I, I like some of them. I, I think, you know, there are some people that can go crazy with them, especially if that's kind of all, you know, thankfully that's not all I know. Um, so I I'm digging them. I'm, I'm fine with it. I think that there's some good lessons to learn in sports and, uh, and yeah, boys, you can't, you can't swing for balls. You don't get up to the plate to hit. <laughs> batter, um, batter, I, batter up glenn i know i also <laughs> will dig it though i think too many times we try to do an exact comparison between what happens in the classroom like too closely related we say oh it's the same thing as if you were coaching blah 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 i coached many years for yeah. 20 years of different sports coaching and some of the things are applicable that happened on the court or on uh, in track or whatever might be to what happened in my classroom, some, but I don't think they're always directly correlated between the two things. And, and the reason why I say this, Noah, is um, I chose to play a sport when I was in, in high school and I, I had a passion for it. And that passion uh, to do those things is 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 different than sometimes what kids are bringing into your classroom. You wish it was always the same thing, you know, but it's not voluntary. Uh, our participation in athletics or whatever our endeavors are, are totally voluntary, but school is not. And so sometimes those analogies, I think, are just too far. Like they're like, just do this. And it's like, eh, I, I don't think it's exactly, they don't correlate between the two. So I, I do enjoy some of them. They do make sense. And uh, but I think sometimes people take it too far. 
Mm, that's a great point. And I'm, I'm with you all. I'm, I'm definitely digging the sports metaphors in learning and in life. And I also think it's a great opportunity for us, especially in 2019, to really hit the brakes and reflect on, you know, when we're bringing in these analogies and these metaphors, are we doing so in ways that perpetuate, you know, things like systemic racism and, oh, and marginalization, right? That are, are we going with just kind of white male, you know, centric kind of things? Or are we being really inclusive in our metaphors? Fantastic point there. Yes. All right, fellas. Next up on Dig It or Ditch It. Glenn, we're sticking with you. Okay. I'm excited. Makerspace vendors. Dig it or ditch it. <laughs> this is so awesome. and so I'm funny enjoying because, this a lot. Because Mike and I have had various experience with this. Makerspace vendors. I'm ditching it. <laughs> and I, I have this... I, and Mike knows this about me. I have this uh, thing. I really hate the vendor part of of uh, conferences. It just I think it's part of just my own personality that I don't like, for example, going to a used cars uh, lot. I would rather purchase just something online that I don't have to actually speak to someone to try to negotiate anything. So it feels very much like that when I'm in a a vendor area at an ed tech type of place. So the makerspace type of vendors, if that's what we're specifically talking about, I would say it's not that the tools and those types of things aren't amazing and that there's all kinds of great things that you could do as far as in in your classes or as a specific makerspace. Uh, It's just that I'm not the right person to be able to go into those spaces and, and be able to, I don't know, for better words, wheel and deal and be able to go ahead and like make those kind of decisions on the fly or ask the right questions or not feel pressure like I have to do something at that moment. So I'm not sure if I took that a different way. What do you take it as, Mike? So I, I feel like um, I'm going to dig makerspace vendors only because I'm not afraid of the conversations with vendors in any way. Uh, I I understand the business side of, of this pretty pretty clearly. And to be honest, I work for a company that sells things into makerspaces. Yeah, you are a makerspace vendor. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe a little bit anyways. Um, you know, so I I don't have a problem with vendors. They got a job to do and it's you can go down there and talk to them or you cannot. And uh, it's entirely up to you. It's you have agency in whether you go down to the show floor of a conference or not. Uh, and you can certainly choose not to. And um, that's perfectly fine. Uh, it, it is a business relationship and you're, you're down there. If you're down there, you're, you're looking to do business. And um, so it's a little bit different environment than teachers are used to in their classrooms. And especially, you know, maybe I have a little bit more of a unique perspective on this because I, was in business like I was the national sales manager for a steel company before I became a teacher so I have a business background uh, where a lot of teachers you know just teach and and don't some do have a business background but don't have that cutthroat kind of you know that expo floor business background where it's pretty aggressive and maybe there's an aversion to that for some teachers because of the, the, the tenor and the, the tone and like the pace of the, of the floor and the expectations of, you know, can I give you my card? Can I give you this deal? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, I get, can I, I scan get the, your badge. I get this. Yes. I get the aversion. <laughs> I get the aversion to the aggression, to the, to the, to that business side of it. I, I completely understand it. So I, that's I, w- I also wanted to say 
I thought about this is if I was a, uh, if I had the power, Mike, to be able to go ahead and do purchases at my school, yeah, maybe I would, I would think I would feel differently. I would want to, so right. I have a certain amount of budget to be able to go ahead and, for example, in this case, we're talking about makerspace type of products. Yeah. Um, and I'm interested in those. I would then, and I have a specific budget. I would want to know more and I would want someone to show me some hands-on kind of stuff so I can see them in real life, not on some video. Um, and then maybe I would have a different type of take on it. I think I would because I would have the ability to then purchase things. Just too many times I, I, I feel like I don't belong there. I can't make a decision anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, uh, you really shouldn't even be talking to me. I'm not really the decision maker as far as the the money goes. Do you know, listening to y'all's answers there, I feel like you took it in really unexpected ways for me. And, and it makes me feel <laughs> awesome. like I kind of like it. It makes me feel like this was my red herring, dig it or ditch it question. Cause, um, I, and I love where you took it. Cause you know, as somebody who organizes conference, everybody check out bit.ly slash badge summit, right? Like yes. yeah. vendors are essential to, to making stuff afford, not just possible, but affordable for teachers. Yep. And so, um, you know, for me, I, I, I was not coming this necessarily from an anti-vendor point of view, more from, um, I, I guess, a culture. For me, I'm ditching makerspace vendors from the perspective of the culture that um, I think for a lot of our colleagues and, and peers that there's this um, sort of ethos in the air that makerspaces are things we buy. Oh, Yes. And so, and so I'm ditching that, that the makerspace is not four walls and it's not things, right? Makerspace is opportunities to help our students do and make. And I think that the cool gadgets and the flashy stuff make a makerspace a really exciting, engaging place. And it really lures students in. And yeah. I think that just the idea that it's something that is a commodity that we buy is is a place where a lot of our our peers are going down a path that is not necessarily wrong. It's just not necessary. It's a narrower view than I think is needed. I think um, one of the Love things that you've made me think of too is is if there's a company that's trying to sell you like a turnkey makerspace, which is I think what you're you're talking about, Noah. Um, makerspaces are about are about inquiry are about finding what your students are interested in doing and making and then go get the tools to do that stuff it's 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 you can develop a makerspace organically through a process of discovery and learning and learning about your students and what they're interested in and then all of a sudden you know a couple years later you look around and you have soldering irons and and you know um, sewing machines and welding equipment and you know whatever else you might have because you you developed a makerspace organically out of the out of the desire of your students and what they want to do. Totally, I, I think that you, that most folks who have the opportunity to put down a credit card and spend money on the makerspace would agree that those dollars go a lot further when they're buying things to facilitate deeper and more interesting questions yeah. than if they were buying what they thought were answers, yeah. right? That the answers end up in the corner gathering dust. It's the questions that really get used. All right, fellas, last digger or digit question for this segment. Oh yeah. Uh, Glenn, I think we're going to bring it back to you then since you sounded oh, so excited. <laughs> <laughs> oh Let, God. Let's stick, let's stick with the topic of vendors, okay. vendor, fill in the blank vendor certified educators. Oh, oh, dig oh. it or ditch it. 
Man, we just <laughs> talked about that too. <laughs> this is the I'm, greatest segment is, in the history of segments. Yeah, it's it's like everything that we've been talking about. So I'm gonna ditch it. Um, there it is. And and because I feel like there's this, like I have just received an epiphany, and that's what I've talked about earlier in in the show about the connection between a company and a teacher, and then how obligated a teacher feels that they have to be to that company. And then also, what does it actually mean to be a certified whatever it might be, whether it be Apple, uh, Google, or any of the other uh, million different types of ed tech companies? What does it that actually mean? And we all know, I mean, Mike, you're certified in everything. And I have you know some different types of certifications, but really what it is is you passed a like a, a test of, of some sort, and you maybe showed some evidence of some materials of whatever it might be. Right. But what does that really mean, though? Um, does it mean that you are a, a person that's willing to go ahead and, and continue? Like you're a lifelong learner? Uh, if that's what it means, then that's fantastic. But too often, it's like, a, like how many things can I put underneath my my credentials, you know, as far as the thing goes. And if you don't have those things, it's like you're, you might be viewed as less than, which I don't think that that should be the case at all. Um, so the connection between teachers and, and ed tech companies is such a precarious one. And I've traveled that road, man. Oh my goodness. I've traveled it up and down. And now at the, at the end of this road, I, I don't feel like it's the end of my road, but I just feel like, oh, I've actually gotten to see the light. And I really tell, I'm going to tell everybody that just be careful with what you commit to and always understand that you don't have to give anything to any of these people because you're not their employee. Um, and I've learned that hard lesson, uh, you know, as, as far as within my path with all the different people that I've been involved in, S some of them have been fantastic, great relationships and some of them not so much. And it's because I felt like obligated to give more of myself and give more of my stuff than I should have been. And, and those are hard lessons to learn. Hopefully other people don't have to uh, have the same experiences. I'm, I'm digging it, but only um, in a certain context. And I think that there's a couple of things that I've been thinking about while Glenn has been talking. I think the first thing that I want to just point out as a side note is that on education wouldn't exist if Glenn and I were not Schoology ambassadors. That's true. So, so, <laughs> so while it had nothing to do with Schoology in the sense that, um, you know, well, I mean, Schoology was has been was good to us, um, you know, through this, but but it was because you know we were in a community and we have mutual interests, and that's what brought us together. So, I think that that dovetails into my thought, which is. Um, because I'm actually starting a, a community with Logics Academy, um, that I I want to focus on using the word community, because that is I think the biggest part of this. The folks that I've grown to 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 know and respect uh, in, for example, the Schoology Ambassador community are some of my favorite teachers that I've ever met. So favorite people to be around and hang out with when we get the chance to do it. Absolutely and agree. I, I think that that community and also, frankly, some of the most supportive people of the podcast that you would have ever. I mean, it's been unbelievable. We wouldn't be anywhere if it wasn't for 
some of those people as well. So, and I know they're all listening right now. So you know who you are, and we we adore You're you amazing. guys. Yes. And and so I wanna I wanna focus on the community because, um, you know, there's been some experiences recently that have left a sour taste in my mouth with advocate communities and 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 this type of thing but it's because the relationship is not reciprocal and there is when when a when a advocate community is not giving you back as much as you're putting into it that's when you need to start thinking about what you're doing there and what's happening with that because it's not just about you giving all of your time your expertise your energy your resources your knowledge to to you know google or apple or whatever it's it's about that group also having a benefit to you, making you a better teacher, a better person, providing you with connections. The community aspect is, I think, the most important part about this. And some of these groups are losing that community aspect, at least between the the group of people and the company itself. That community aspect is being lost on some of these. Mike, I am totally with you on digging the vendor certified teachers. Um, I see it it's very similar to you that it's about community. And I also think that, you know, there's enough stuff that we educators deal with. That's not awesome in our lives. Right. And so here's you, you've got folks who are being given this opportunity to be elevated in in a way that they see value in. And and to me, it it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. If they see value in it to put it in their bio that I'm a fill in the blank certified teacher. Right. Awesome. Let's do it. Like, you know, it's not like your principles, you know, letting the world know how great you are. So let's let a vendor do it. So, you know, I mean, like, I'm just a strong believer in the advocacy piece of anything that gives us an opportunity to celebrate ourselves, to celebrate one another. We should take advantage of it. And I I think what you say, Mike, is really wise that, you know, we probably um, certain things are not going to pass the smell test. Right. If a vendor yeah. is not being authentic, if they're not, you know, in it for teachers, you know, that that's probably going to very quickly be something that doesn't look and feel and taste and smell like a community and it's going to go away. And so, you know, and another thing that I was thinking of picturing you, you know, rooting for the flames or something is that the part of the community is that we are both passionate about this same tool or product or, or whatever. And just like we're fans of, of a team. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that we see somebody else's bio, that they're a fill in the blank certified educator and that's them wearing our team, same team's jersey. Right. Yeah. And so I don't know them and I right away feel a connection to them. And I think that's pretty awesome in this world. And it's something that you know is possible in 2019 that wasn't possible for teachers in 1919. I like both of you guys' statements, <laughs> but I'm glad I went first, though, because I just feel that it, there is a uh, there's a big difference to me between the communities that I have been involved in, the people, mm-hmm. let's just call them the people. The people. And and they are amazing and beautiful and have helped me so much in everything that I've, uh, you know, probably in the last seven or eight years have been the best uh, parts of my career because of these communities. The company that's connected to that, I think is a different entity. And you should just make sure that whatever relationship you get into th- with them that it's something that you like Mike just said that it's mutually beneficial. So that's my that's my little spiel then. <laughs> awesome. Friends, that was dig it or ditch it. 
and we hope you uh, we hope you dig it. Uh, we will uh, thank Noah Geisel for for being our our host. Thanks, buddy. He's hey, thank you guys so much for having me. This is a lot of fun to just ponder ahead of time. If any listeners have dig it or ditch it uh, questions they want me to throw out to Mike and Glenn, please do direct message me on Twitter. I'm at Senor G. And for any On Education Pod listeners who want to attend Badge Summit, it's June 22nd in Philadelphia, bit.ly slash Badge Summit. And for the first 10 listeners that want to attend for a 30% discount, use promo code On Education. There it is promo code and everything folks get on it we're going to be there on saturday and it's going to be a blast when we come back we're going to be joined by the authors of quit point adam chamberlain and sveti matech welcome back everyone adam chamberlain and sveti matech teach at franklin heights high school in columbus ohio and they're the founders of palm llc they're the authors of the book quit point understanding apathy engagement and motivation in the classroom and they join us today welcome to the podcast guys yeah thanks for having us thank you so to start could you both share a little bit of your background with the audience and about how you came together to form uh your company and how did you come together to write this great book? Okay, I'll, I'll take this one, Sveti. So, uh, you know, it, we've been teaching together now for 10 years at the same high school uh, in the same department. We just kind of, you know, ha- had kind of a natural friendship and then sharing ideas uh, in the classroom. Um, but I, I would say for the most part, you know, fairly traditional style over our first few years. And then uh, I guess it was about six years ago now. We were both part of kind of a pilot one-to-one program. So each student in our classroom was going to have a device uh, in their hands that we were going to be able to kind of structure the entire class around. And initially we were like, this is, this is great. We fought for it to, you know, to be part of this program. We thought it was going to cure a lot of those issues of engagement and motivation in the classroom. And then what we found about a month in is, you know, we were just talking, we, we're still having a lot of the same issues that we've had in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, so that started, you know, we started talking about what are those issues that are causing kids to shut down. Um, how can we address those issues and, and try to you know refocus them to get better production out of it? So simply using the technology, it opened up a lot of uh, opportunities, but it didn't cure those basic issues of motivation in the classroom. So that's when we really started to put all of our emphasis onto that, um, you know, in, in order to get better production on the other end. The title of your book is called Quit Point, and this is also the name of the concept that the book centers around. What exactly is the Quit Point? So when you think about um, energy and engagement and activity in a classroom or just in any part of your life, uh, the Quit Point is, is that moment where your energy or your effort can just drop. And it might mean you're dropping you know, from... 100% effort to 0% effort. It might mean you're dropping from 80% to 50%. Um, it might mean that you realize that you're about you're at risk to go in the wrong direction and you have to kind of give more energy to maintain the same effort. But when that quit point occurs, it, the, the key element is that if you are maintaining your energy, you're maintaining your focus, that's not going to be sufficient to actually maintain your production. And so you have to do something, whether from your end or from somebody assisting you, um, to, to be able to keep going forward. And so the, the example, um, w- the first example we started giving, it's my favorite one, is the, is the tree that fell in my backyard. 
it took me a good six months to chop it up and start moving it because the price of removal was a huge quit point on my part, but now also the effort for removal was a huge quit point. And so in, until the neighbor started yelling at us, I didn't have enough energy to push me through and get rid of that tree. So edu Twitter and, and Glenn and I are like embedded in this, but it talk, <laughs> talk about engagement constantly. It's, it's, you know, it's the dominant theme of when people are talking on, on Twitter is engagement and student engagement. And I think a, a distillation, if, if we had to distill quit point into like one maybe one small concert broad concept i guess is that it's a book about student engagement and when and why students become disengaged i, I just wrote your elevator pitch for you uh, you probably had that already you probably don't need that what <laughs> no, was the I, I, I appreciate that oh go ahead go ahead <laughs> what what was the motivation to take something teachers are constantly talking about anecdotally and infusing it with academia and research you you've written a solid academic research-based book here well first of all thank you and i love your use of the the uh, phrase there edu twitter yeah Any, anyone who's not in the edu twitter uh, universe <laughs> when you try to explain it to them like no there's this whole other culture of of teachers and educators that are <laughs> that you know have hundreds of thousands of followers and are just constantly on and I, I tell my students that, I'm like, like, what do you mean? There's Twitter chats tonight. Like, yeah, that's what that's what some teachers do. So, it's a whole world out there for the education universe. Get, getting back to your question, one thing that definitely uh, jumped out to me is kind of like the emphasis that, which, which it's not necessarily an educational concept, but the emphasis in the past 10, 15 years on um, uh, like behavioral economics as a concept in terms of people just in in day to day life don't always do the rational thing. They don't always make the rational decision or what you believe to be the, um, you know, the logical long-term, you know, solution to their problems. Um, and, and that was just something that I dabbled with, you know, outside of education. So we started looking into and researching some more of those topics because, you know, as a teacher, we've all had those issues where it's like, you know, I, I, I just need you to do this. You do this thing and you're going to be ready for the test. You do this thing, you're going to, you know, get whatever grade you've been aiming for. And then students will do the exact opposite, and you wonder why, like, why would somebody go, you know, against their against their interests in that? So actually, like, getting into some of that research that's been done in terms of behavioral economics, um, you know, some recent, uh, you know, psychological studies in terms of uh, motivation and behaviors and things like that, they take us out of the realm of education, but they get us into the realm of um, just actual human behavior. So then we could start to apply those to the classroom and try to start to diagnose why are kids uh, quitting in the first place? What are things that we could do to try to re-engage them in the classroom? So it's it's definitely a book about engagement in the classroom. We just kind of approached it from the opposite end, understanding that while 100% engagement is you know ideally this you know this mythical goal, that's not going to happen on a day to day basis. And realistically, you know, 80%, 90%, even 70% uh, engagement on, on a lot of days is going to be really productive, you know, over the course of the school year. So just trying to be realistic with the fact that we as adults, we hit quit points at various times of the day. Students definitely hit quit points in, in various times of the day. Let's not ignore that fact. Let's understand that they will have their issues. There's various things that we could do to try to influence that and get them back on track to try to maximize our our moments of engagement in the classroom. 
So cell phones in the classrooms are a controversial topic. And in the book you write, teachers curse the invention of the cell phone because they believe it is the source or is, is a source of distraction. But we need to understand that those devices may not cause quitting. They may instead be a student's way of coping with having reached obstacles that led to that quit point. So do you have any advice for the teachers that are listening that are frustrated with cell phone use both in and out of the classroom? Okay, that's yeah, that's an excellent question. I, I did not know it was going that far in Canada that, <laughs> that there was legislation being proposed already. Yes, um, it's crazy. You know, I've I've definitely uh, heard those conversations in the staff room and um, you know in various committees at the district level in my own school uh, in terms of you know do we ban them outright? What what's our policy? Um, so it's a different it's a difficult one for for teachers to handle, and I, I would say is in terms of advice, one approach. Uh, that I've taken, and it certainly doesn't do away with the frustration, you know, at times, uh, but just to understand that while it, it, it is a distraction, um, it's not necessarily like the, uh, the root of the problem necessarily. So one thing that Svetty and I have both done in the classroom is to try to view um, certain quitting behaviors more as symptoms of a bigger problem, you know, almost like, you know, we're, we're diagnosing, yes. you know, an, um, a problem here. You know, when I when I take my kids in, you know, when they have a fever, I don't take them into the doctor for the fever. Uh, I take them in, the, the fever is the symptom, and I'm, I'm asking their doctors to, now we're trying to find what is the root of the problem. What is um, the root, yes. You know, so that's not at all to say that I haven't been frustrated myself as a classroom teacher, you know, when cell phones are out. Um, but first of all, from, from our end, just recognizing that it's a symptom, and quite frankly, if... Uh, if I was young enough that I had cell phones, you know, in the classroom, I'm sure I would have turned to it quite a bit because there were plenty of times that I was not engaged in school. Um, you know, one of the issues that, you know, in one of those, um, you know, staff discussions that I got into once, and I, I remember a teacher, you know, cursing cell phones, as we said, where they said the cell phone is the single worst thing to happen to education. Yes, and, and I, I and I, I I felt this you know this colleague's frustration, but I just said, you know that that's kind of this notion that before cell phones, like schools were were perfect, and that we did not have engagement issues at all, and that's that's totally fla false. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I had plenty of classes when and and I felt I was a pretty good student going through you know K through twelve, but there were plenty of times where I was bored in the classroom. You know, you wrote notes, you. He kind of tuned in and out. Uh, paper airplanes. Yeah, paper airplanes. I, I once got <laughs> yelled at by my geometry teacher for you know throwing spitballs and things like that. Like we just didn't have technology. Uh, if that was the case, I'm sure I would have been watching Netflix in the back of the room instead of throwing spitballs. Um, <laughs> so the cell phones they are a distraction. We're not trying to go away from that. They they can be a distraction to engagement. But understanding on the teacher end that it is more a symptom of something else. Um, one other strategy that we use is we don't try to shy away from it and we don't treat cell phones simply as a discipline. Um, we try to turn the emphasis back onto the student. Our emphasis in the classroom is, is on learning. Um, so therefore, and we try to put that emphasis heavily on the students to take ownership of their learning. And then when we have to have that cell phone discussion, it turns into the cell phones seem to be a distraction for some people you know, maybe those cell phones need to be off to the side. Maybe the cell phones need to be put away, um, you know, for various, you know, for a multitude of reasons. Um, I don't like to take cell phones in my classroom. 
I, I would say the biggest one is I don't want to turn my back and have that cell phone gone and then I'm, I'm liable for it. Sure. Um, but I have had students after having that, that more positively framed conversation with them in terms of the cell phone seems to be distracting you in, in class and it's keeping you from reaching what you've set as your goals. Is there something that we could do to help monitor and manage that, that behavior on your end? And I've had students just walk in and say, here's my phone. Can you lock it up for the period? Sure. I'll gladly do that. Um, awesome. Other kids, that simple conversation, uh, once again, because it's not a discipline conversation anymore, those students don't have a problem setting their phone off to the side. Um, it, it takes away um, the control factor and, and it takes it out of the teacher's hands and it gives students control over their learning, including what may be a distraction for them in their classroom. You know, so while it doesn't always um, relieve <laughs> all stress on my part when it comes to phones, I feel that's the direction that we need to go as educators because, quite frankly, cell phones are not going away. Um, you can make legislation. I, I don't know how that's really going to work <laughs> because uh, cell phones are only going to become more and more attached uh, and more and more complex and advanced. Um, so trying to find some way to for the students themselves to recognize on this particular occasion seems to be getting in the way of what we're trying to do. Maybe you know, Maybe you need to do something else with it. So as a teacher, I wanted my students to be resilient and work through difficulties in class. And in the book, you write, again, as teachers, we can influence a student's optimism by controlling the situation. We can attempt to reduce the likelihood of student quit points by focusing on optimism, and I really like this part, and reasonable short-term outcomes. Tell us more about how to focus on optimism in our classes. Um, and this, this is another thing where when you start talking about resilience, I know in that, um, you know, edgy Twitter verse that you, you kind of mentioned earlier, yes. <laughs> uh, you know, teachers, yeah, we all want our students to be, uh, to, to have more resilience and, and have perseverance. Um, you know, as a parent of two young kids, you know, I, you want to use those opportunities and those lessons to teach those skills, um, you know, to our young kids so that they, they become you know, resilient adults as well, and don't shut down to every single obstacle. Um, I don't know if you have the same problem in Canada, in the United States. I guess they're calling them like snowplow parents, where parents like plow out of the way all obstacles that kids have to well, face. And then oh, we have... call them heli helicopter parents. Okay, yeah, yeah. We have those two. <laughs> so, so we've had, yeah, we've we've had helicopter parents, and then I just saw an article like a month ago. Where they're calling them like snowplow snow parents, where it's it's not only are they it's, hovering. It's actually more that's actually more appropriate for where <laughs> more, I live too. More aggressive. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I'm in Canada. <laughs> like, and I thought that term was so great because you have you know the, like the helicopter parents. Yeah, we've all seen those parents that hover, but this notion of I'm going to barrel in front of you and remove all obstacles. That's not helping the students. That's not helping kids in any way to become fully functioning and resilient. Uh, you know, adults. So. Um, you know, I, I think most teachers look for those opportunities to build resilience in the classroom. Now, with that being said, I think a lot of people's approach to doing so in the classroom is just, here's this very long lesson or a long project. Um, it's, it's not chunked properly. Um, you know, it, it's not broken up into manageable tasks. And then it's just, here's the job, here's the deadline. And, um, you know, and then a lot of times they'll justify it in terms of saying, well, you know, um, you know, in the real world or once you're working and things like that, that's, that's how things are done. You're giving these, here's a task, get it done by this time. 
Yes. And while, yes, that's what we're working towards, but we're still working with kids of various ages. You know, a lot, of, a lot of adults shut down at that time. Sveti earlier shared the story about uh, him hitting a quick point over a fallen tree in his backyard. You know, that, that was a job that, you know, a bunch of us could have gone over there and helped him out in, uh, you know, over a weekend. But I was not eager to volunteer my time to help him out. <laughs> he was not eager to go out in his backyard and, you know, and give up a weekend, you know, you know, chopping down a tree and, and stuff right. like that, that we hit our own quit points, you know, so um, trying to find ways to chunk it. And then when it comes to the optimism piece, um, you know, I, we tried in, in the writing not to make it like, you know, dense in research. Actually, our, our publisher at the time was like, it, it's still supposed to be like a popular, popular read with references to, to research, but, you know, but don't drown it down with research at all. Um, but some of the research that I found most interesting, not necessarily referenced throughout, but what was definitely a big influence was, um, you know, various research on optimism from um, Martin Seligman. Um, you know, who, who had done this study back in, back in the days where he basically found, you know, animals that shut down. And by building a, a system of small little manageable goals, now you can start to teach younger students um, ways to build optimism. And so when they nice. do hit a roadblock, they don't shut down right away. You know, when, you, when a, a good student does get a bad score on a test, they don't see it as the end all be all of their their academic um, you know existence. They see it as, yes. ooh, this was a roadblock, um, or oh, I I really wasn't prepared for this test. Next time one comes around, we need to you know approach it differently. And and I know um, like Carol Dweck with all of her research on growth mindset also plays into it, um, emphasizing that our goal is to always get better. That does not mean we're going to be great the entire time. That does not mean that we're going to be, um, you, you know, absent of of these roadblocks uh, that hinder us along the way. But just trying to find ways to chunk things into small, manageable goals. Um, we we have a a friend who is a a very good distance runner and a track coach. I, on the other hand, despise running uh, quite a bit. <laughs> You know, so I, like I joke with him and I'm like, you know, if you told me, I'll give you a million dollars at the end of the year if you could run in, in such and such marathon, I would probably just tell you, no, it's not going to happen because the, <laughs> the thought of running 26.2 miles sounds absolutely, you know, horrific to me. But if you were to say, I'll, I'll, you know, could you go out, could you go out right now and run a mile? Yeah, I, yeah, I can do that. The next day, can you go out and run a mile? After a week. Can we slowly, you know, uh, start to, you know, increase your, your speed and, and decrease your time? Yeah, I can do that. Can we start to, you know, give you a longer and longer run? Like that's, that's how athletes train. Um, and, and really that's how, you know, a lot of teachers structure their classroom too. We want small victories. We want small wins so that when students go in to, you know, take these, you know, bigger standardized tests or, you know, college interest, you know, tests and things like that. They know that it's it's not the end all be all, but they've they have a, a past experience with with success. Um, so Mike and I are big proponents of using a learning management system mm -hmm. effectively. And in the book, you state uh, when educators don't take the time to create visually appealing assignments and resources, students can have an adverse first reaction to any tasks. 
So correcting this oversight leads to one of the easiest ways to avoid quit points. So Mike and I, we do training for, for example, for Schoology or uh, professional development. Mm -hmm. And we know of educators that they don't really get that connection. So between something that's well-organized and visually appealing as far as materials and activities and how important it is to teaching and learning. Tell us more about like what you guys found as far as in the research or just in your experiences. Like once again, that that's, as you said, that's probably one area where um, teachers ignore that very often. Um, I would say particularly the, the higher up you go in, in K through 12 education or even at the college level, because it becomes more and more content specific, the, the higher up you go, um, where the overall, you know, overwhelming emphasis becomes content, not necessarily as much the delivery. That's going to be the student's first interaction with a lot of that content. So finding ways for them to not get tripped up, you know, on that, uh, on that experience, I think is a big part of it. Um, my older son is in second grade and there'll be times where he comes home and like, first thing, all right, you know, what, what do we have for homework tonight? And, oh, I have to get on, you know, so, you know, sometimes it's your very traditional, you know, worksheet of, you know, whatever, 10, 10, you know, uh, math problems and stuff like that. But there's other times where it's, you know, my teacher wants me to get on this program and play this game for 15 minutes tonight. You know, and it, it, it seems so simple. And that's how we teach kids at a young age. And then as people get older, we just forget the element of, you know, um, turning things into a game because it's fun. I'll interact with that, not because I, I care about learning, you know, multiplication, but I care about it because it's a game and I like the game or, or how it's set up. Or, or our, our very first attempt at a website that we used in the classroom, that first year when we got like went one-to-one. And, and I think we suffered from the same thing that almost every teacher website suffers from. Like we felt that every single thing was important. And the reality was maybe 10% of right. what we had on that website was important. Very true. Um, so we actually, you know, we actually went back and uh, like three days before class, I saw, I saw a teacher presenting uh, at a conference and they were using um, Apple TV as a presentation tool. And this was several years ago, you know, my, my older one's like three or four years old. And I'm, I'm looking at the presentation and I'm like, I've never used Apple TV. But I see that and I'm confident that I could take whatever, you know, remote and figure everything out. What if we used our web, like what if we redesigned our website so that my, you know, my three-year-old could sit down and figure out where he's supposed to go. And so I, I came back from the conference and I was like, all right, Sveti, I, I have a crazy idea. What if, what if we completely delete our website, something that we, we had done for two years, but quite frankly, looked awful and the students never <laughs> used because... It looked awful. It was too busy, too many words. Um, you know, it, it didn't make sense in terms of where you're worried to find anything. And I said, what if we just have like, like little icons like, you know, like kids have on their tablets and their phones? Right. And so we, we kind of went back to basics. And we always joke with our students on the first day when we introduced the website. We're like, there's only six buttons. So you could only be wrong five times. <laughs> like before you get to the location where we're supposed to be. And so like, awesome. you know, like on that first day, I was mentioned like, okay, we're, you know, I pull up the website. Where do you think we're going to start today? And kids will take a guess. Like, I'm going to guess daily assignments. Excellent. And, and you just click on that icon and boom, you're where you're supposed to be. Um, you know, kind of what you were saying by using like some type of designed management system, it cuts down on those obstacles of you know, how many as, of us has, as teachers, you've been like 10 minutes into a lesson 
and you think that a good number of the students are engaged and working, and then you'll have the kid that's, what are we supposed to be doing? You know, where are we? <laughs> yeah, where I don't we? know what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> and immediately, immediately you get frustrated and you kind of like take it personally. Like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, why didn't you ask in the first minute? Like, why'd you wait 15 minutes in? Um, and I think that like the structure and the design of a lot of things in education, like it, it, it's overwhelming uh, in terms of some of the research actually on it. Um, once again, it kind of goes back to some of the uh, behavioral economic stuff. Um, kind of the two prominent individuals in the field uh, are two scientists, um, Amos Tversky and Daniel Kahneman, um, that are you know pretty prominent. Have been talked about quite a bit recently. Uh, Michael Lewis, the author, you know, one of his last books was about those two and their their academic collaboration. But there was a, an entire chapter of one of their books where they talked about like marketing and things like that, and text size, color, all of those things. Um, matter and impact how people will will consume information you know so uh, you know I've seen teachers where it's like well I, I, I want to use less paper so I'm going to cram everything into this in really small font with you know half inch margins all the way around and they oh, do it God. for a good reason like they're you know they're they're trying to, to use less paper but at the same time it's like you just turn it around to them okay okay now imagine you're the student and the teacher puts this down on your desk. What are you going to do? You know, it, it's, it's just a mass of words. And, and, you know, that is going to cause a lot of people to shut down and quit, um, you know, right off the bat. One major lesson that, that Sveti and I had in our very first year working together was before we had the computers in the classroom. As social studies teachers, we do use a lot of uh, we call them DBQs or document-based questions, you know, primary and secondary sources. The students answer questions. The students are trying to put together a formal, um, like the, the end goal is like a formal essay. Yeah. And so we, we were using those, but when we were still using paper, we were, you know, stapling these big packets together. And, and we noticed a quit point, like we joke about it now, but I'd walk around the room and I'd toss this packet down and it makes like an audible thud as it hits the desk. <laughs> And like, no thanks. Looking back on it, yeah, a lot of my students who are not they 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 were not particularly resilient students. They were not particularly strong students, and they hear this giant thick packet of you know fifteen pages hit their desk. They're done. They're done. And you know, so I could tell them like, no, this is a week long assignment that we're working on. This isn't today. But for them, it was done the moment it hit. And so. You know, even before we had, you know, a management system or a website and things like that, we were like, we really need to chunk these up better. Let's let's take this DBQ of nine documents and an essay. And what if we just give them an assignment to complete in one day with three documents on one piece of paper? Um, some of the research even shows, and we've done this work in our, um, our department teacher-based teams, we've experimented with just putting text inside a text box. It's almost like it, it frames the work for the students and it, yes. the, the amount of participation you know, increases significantly because it looks like something that's manageable. Um, we try very hard to get all of our assignments in, into as, like, as small little chunks as possible because it's easier for the students to interact with and it reduces that, that element of quit point. So the book, Friends, is called Quit Point. It's available everywhere, including by clicking 
the link in our show notes. Adam and Sveti, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Mike Washburn. My co-host is Glenn Irvin. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Glenn is at Irv Spanish on Twitter. I can be found on Twitter at Mr. Washburn. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we'd be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or on the Google Play Store. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Classcraft, for supporting us. Check out classcraft.com slash oneducation to learn more about them. Thanks, as always, for listening. Stay awesome. See you soon.